I'd like you to do something a little different with me as we get started. I'm very conscious of the fact that this sermon time is also part of worship time. And so what I'd like to do is invite you to raise your hands, open palms like this to God. So that as we pray that we prepare ourselves to receive from God what he wants to give us this morning. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for what you teach us about yourself through it. And we are so thankful about how you teach us how we can live and how we can follow Jesus more closely. This morning, we open our arms, we open our hearts to you, we open our minds to you, and we ask that you would help us to receive from you that which you would like to give us. Pour out your blessing on us and allow us to bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me ask you, what is at your core? We've been asking this question for several weeks now. What is at your core? What are your fundamental beliefs? What are the things that guide you? What are the beliefs that help you make good decisions, good choices in life? You know, our kids used to really get irritated with us when we used to pray over them as they went out to school in the morning, and, and almost always the last thing we said was, make good choices. <laughs> that kind of became a running joke, but we were serious. We wanted them to make good choices. Well, what helps them make good choices? Hopefully the things that we have poured into their lives, the things that we've taught them, the values that we've helped to establish, right? Core values help us to understand who we are. They help us to interpret how the world works as we go out into it. And core values contain things like integrity and honesty and fairness and compassion. All of those things can be core values. Most importantly, as followers of Christ, if your values are aligned with God's values, they strengthen you and they support your relationship with Jesus. And we serve as his disciples. And, and these values help us to really follow him. We have 10 specific core values that we've been talking about in this series. And, and these are values that are rooted very deeply in our history as a church and very deeply in our doctrine as well. So far, we've looked at six of those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them all up on the screen here so you can see them. Um, good to see them all at once. We experience God's love and grace through the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ and through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We value the Bible as the authoritative word of God. We study it together and we build our lives on its truth. We value worshiping God. That's one of our core values. We, we want to engage in worship that honors God, that's spirit-directed and life-changing. When we say we're following Jesus, what do we mean? We're talking about discipleship, that is wholehearted obedience to Jesus. We can only do that through the empowerment and the presence of the Holy Spirit as well. We value church the community of faith and belonging to it. Not only is the church the hands and the feet uh, of Jesus that are to accomplish his will in the world around us, but it's all, we're also there to provide the gospel to the dying world around us. We, we believe that the church is also not just 
the external part, but the internal part is a place of growth and relationships, that it's a place that's supposed to be filled with grace and love and acceptance. Last week, we, we talked about witnessing to the world. We value an active and loving witness for Christ to all the people everywhere. And we believe that every believer is to be one of those witnesses. Every single one of us. Nobody gets exempt from that. So this week, we're looking about uh, the subject of serving compassionately. And, and here's how we say that. We value serving others at their point of need, following the example of our Lord Jesus. I want to unpack that this morning. I want to do it through Scripture. And, and as servants of Jesus, we need to approach service with, with really with three things. We need to start, we need to approach our service with a humble heart. And then we need to approach service in humility, humble service. And then we need to look for the humble needs, for those simple needs that people have and those places of contact where we can meet them at their need. Humble heart, humble service, and humble need. There's an old Peanuts cartoon that you may remember that uh, has uh, Snoopy is sitting outside in the snow. He's shivering. It's the middle of a snowstorm. All the snow's coming down like crazy. And, and along come Linus and Charlie Brown all snuggled up in their parkas and warm, and they look over, and, and Charlie Brown looks over and sees Snoopy. He says, hey, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? And Linus says, he sure does. Maybe we should go over there and comfort him. So they walk over and get next to Snoopy, and they say to him, Snoopy, be of good cheer. And then they walk away, leaving Snoopy shivering in the cold. <laughs> I think Schultz had in mind when he drew that cartoon, this verse or this set of verses in James. If any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Uh, that's pretty strong words, isn't it? What good is it? Our faith in Christ is meant to be put in action, isn't it? Otherwise, what good is it? It's not real faith. It's dead. Real faith it starts in here, but then it comes out here, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. There's a story that we see in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus is out with his disciples and teaching them, and, and James and John, they kind of take him aside and they ask him for a favor. These guys are a little rough and tumble, um, you know, Jesus has nicknamed these two the Sons of Thunder. And uh, I always thought that would be a good name for a Christian motorcycle group. But, you know, I think it would be awesome to see what these guys become. And as we see their lives unfold in Jesus, it's amazing that they come to a different place than where they start. And here's where they start. Uh, this is a little early on in that relationship. 
Now, these guys come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left hand as we get to glory. In other words, they want the top position. And Jesus says, boys, you have no idea what you're asking for. Can you go through what I'm going to go through? Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm being baptized with? Absolutely, they say. Further proving that they really don't know what's coming. And Jesus says to them, well, your turn is coming. But those special places that you're asking for at the right hand and the left hand, when we get to glory, those are already taken. Those things are already prepared for somebody else. And I'm sure they went away disappointed because they sure wanted that place of honor next to Jesus. Well, then the other 10 disciples, they hear about what James and John just did, and, and boy, are they ticked. They're really upset. Let's pick that up in, in verse 41. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Zebedee brothers, the sons of thunder, they had it upside down, didn't they? Their attitude was completely backwards. They wanted special honors. But Jesus says, you know, if you really want to be great, you have to learn how to serve. You have to have a servant's heart, a humble heart. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this, isn't he? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, we know that we are fallen in sin. But God had a plan for redemption. And Jesus carried out that plan for redemption in service on the cross. He died in our place for our sins. He died serving humanity. He did it for us. And he did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The disciples got that wrong so often, unfortunately. I think of Palm Sunday, you know, we're getting ready to go down into Jerusalem and that donkey's saddled up and Jesus is riding and all the people are screaming and shouting and, and, and they were waiting for a conquering king. Boy, they were ready for that. They wanted Jesus to go down into Jerusalem and really kick some Roman behinds, you know? They were ready for that. But Jesus doesn't present himself as the king that we know he is. He presents himself as a servant, as a servant obedient to the Father. He has a servant's heart. You know, being a follower of Jesus means having a servant's heart. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a servant's heart? You know, we hear that a lot. I worked in a Christian bookstore called Servant's heart. <laughs> you know, it's a fairly common phrase in Christianity. Having a servant's heart means having a heart like Jesus. 
doesn't it? Yeah. A heart fully submitted to God. A heart that's not selfish, but more selfless. It's about putting others before ourselves and loving as Jesus loved. You know, there are four Greek words for love that exist, uh, or at least are the main words for love. Three of them are in the New Testament. One of them is used more than any of the others. And it's, it's a word, the word is agape. Uh, it's the highest form of love that there is in the New Testament. You see it all over the place. For example, God so loved the world. Agape. Husbands, love your wives. Agape. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is. 1 Corinthians 13. All agape. A new command I give you. Love one another. Agape. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Agape. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, there's a conditional clause, if you love one another. Agape. Now, why is that important? Because this word for love has the idea of service built into it. Agape is a self-sacrificing kind of love. That's why it's most often used of God. It's the kind of love that seeks to meet the needs of another person. It puts the other person's needs above our own needs. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross? He could have called down 10,000 angels to rescue him, right? But he doesn't. He stayed there. Instead, he gave his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. A follower of Jesus has a humble heart, a servant's heart, the heart of Christ. And having a humble heart leads us into humble service. Lots of years ago, when Bonnie and I were first married, I worked on a paving crew for the summer, and... Uh, Quite an experience. One of the guys, Gary, uh, took it upon himself to uh, zing me every chance he could get. Um, he knew that I was at school to be a pastor, and so he took to calling me preacher and you know, took to you know, playing some practical jokes and all kinds of other things. And one day he asked, with what I thought was great sincerity, so how do you get ready for a sermon? Do you practice in front of the mirror? I told him, no, I don't practice it. He turned to the other guys and shouts out, you hear that? Preacher doesn't practice what he preaches. Well, I'll tell you this. Jesus practices what he preaches. In Mark, Jesus tells the disciples, whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. He deliberately picks that word, slave, in the second verse that he Shares that in. You know, when Jesus gathered with the disciples for his last supper, he introduces a new practice, practice of communion, the Lord's Supper, which we practice today. The Apostle Paul, or Apostle John, rather, tells us in his gospel that, and let me just share this, this for you. Just, just listen and hear what it has to say, what the word says. 
It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, that not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you that no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Foot washing in a Judean household was the nastiest job in the house. It was given to the lowest servant in the house, or a slave often. And, and that's why Peter was so appalled when Jesus came and offered to wash his feet. He thought that was terrible. I mean, it was just completely beneath the dignity of Jesus to do that. But very practically, Jesus is showing his disciples what he taught them in Mark in the passage that we looked at there. That whoever wants to be great, whoever's looking for the privileged spot, the best seat in the house, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That's what Jesus was doing in the foot washing. He was being the slave. He was being the servant. He was being the lowest in the house. He was serving from the bottom up. Jesus had told them, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, has washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example. And of course, he reinforces that lesson on humility that he had taught earlier. The Brethren in Christ church that we belong to, like a lot of churches, 
Uh, we wash feet on Monday, Thursday. Uh, that's the Thursday of Easter Holy Week, the Thursday before Easter. And, and we have a meal together, and we share the Lord's Supper together, and, and we wash feet. Now, we don't do that because we believe that Jesus meant for the disciples to then, after the meal that he had with them, to run out into the street with basins and, and start washing random people's feet in the street. We don't believe that that's what Jesus was teaching. When we do it, we do it as a symbol, just like we do the Lord's Supper. It's a symbol remembering what Jesus has done for us, but also remembering what Jesus has called us to. You remember a few weeks back we talked about you know, the meaning of church, that the original meaning of church had to do with being the called ones of Jesus. You are the called ones of Christ. And believe it or not, you are called to wash feet. Now, I don't mean the physical part. I mean what it represents. You're called to serve. You know, Jesus' disciples, they got the message. They really did. You know, you see transformation happening. You know, James and John, the earlier version, you see them going out and preaching and teaching. And, and you see their compassion beginning to emerge as they bring healing and bring the gospel of Jesus. You know, God does that to us. When we decide that we're going to serve Jesus, when we decide that we're going to be that person, you know, not somebody else. You know, there's always the, you know, you hear a call from the pulpit or you hear that read in the bulletin or you, you know, see in the newsletter that there's some need and we always think, oh, oh that's cool. Uh, I hope somebody does that, you know. Uh, we might even pray, God, raise that person up. <laughs> but it's not always us. Sometimes it's not us at all. The humble heart of Jesus leads us to humble service, to serve others in the name of Jesus. And we serve because he served. We follow his example in serving other people. Well, a humble heart leads to humble service. And humble service leads to looking for humble needs in our path. Jesus doesn't just practice humble service on his disciples at the end of his life. You know, that's, that's wonderful stuff in, in the foot washing, this great example of service. But that's not the only time he serves. We know he's going on to serve at the cross. That's his most important service. But if you look back at his life, his whole life has been modeling service. He served people through his whole ministry. It was the central theme to his mission. Think about what he did. I mean, he touched untouchable lepers. He raised an unraisable cripple. He healed an unhealable blind person. He cast out demons and sent tormented people free. Jesus modeled a life of service. Our church statement, it talks about serving others at the point of need. That's right there in our church statement that we read at the beginning. That's what Jesus did. 
The leper needed cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus restored him. Not only healed his illness, but restored him to community. He was an outcast. The crippled man needed to walk. He'd been begging. And he was able to work. He was able to walk. He was able to move. Jesus met him at his point of need. The blind man needed his sight, and Jesus gave it to him. The demonized man needed to be set free. See, Jesus had an awareness of the needs around him. It was part of who he was. It was like he had a special radar for need. And he saw those needs, and he didn't walk away from them. Where he could, he met them, and he served in that way. And I want that to be my challenge for you this week. I want to challenge you to follow the example of Jesus. I want to challenge you to develop a needs awareness, to develop your own kind of radar for that. Pray that God will show you the need that might be right in front of you. You know? I remember a a church, one of our churches in California, pastor and his associate, they were good friends, and they'd often go out for lunch together, and they'd, they'd uh, as they walked, they talked, they were praying about, you know, how, how can we help people in the community? How can we reach the needs of the community? And one day as they're walking back, they noticed that there was a, a homeless man laying up against the building. And they'd been walking past him for months and not seen him. And they decided to stop and do something to help that man. And that man began actually coming into service in church. And they helped him get food and clothing and housing. And he began to come to church. And then he began to invite friends of his. Well, then they kind of made this a principle. And they began to to look for people like that all the time. And pretty soon, that church started getting pretty full of all these people whose needs that they had met. And they were coming not just to sit in church, but they were coming to know Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Pastor there, one of my favorite things, he, he had some, some uh, ability to teach on, on health and safety things. And he had read that in the local school district, they didn't have somebody to do that, to, to share those things. And, and so he volunteered to do it. He was qualified for it. And, and he went out and he got himself made a big bumblebee costume. <laughs> and then he started going from school to school, you know, Maybe a little humiliating for some of us, but he didn't think so. He would go to those schools with that big bumblebee costume, and he would teach you know, health and safety, and, and he was well-received, and pretty soon he was talking to thousands of kids across the school district. And wouldn't you know that some of those turned into spiritual conversations, into God moments, where he got to share the gospel. See, that's what God does when we develop that Servant awareness. It's like those guys walking by that man every day for months. And one day God opened their eyes and said, "Uh, what about this man? 
And didn't I call you to be a servant? Serve this man. And all kinds of wonderful things came out of that. So my challenge to you is to to pray that God will give you that kind of radar, that needs awareness. And then maybe just pick one person. Start with one. And meet that person at their need. You can bring the gospel along with that. Nobody says you can't. Watch and see what happens. In fact, kind of like Lay's potato chips, I bet you can't just serve one. (laughs) I bet you'll end up having to do it over and over again because it becomes part of your lifestyle. Jesus' ultimate service to us was his sacrifice on the cross for us. Let me read what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Interesting, that came up twice today. Did you notice? Kathy talked about Philippians 2 earlier. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you into the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And here's the last part. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.